Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. As for you, my fine friend, you're a victim of disorganized thinking. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Today's episode, Revenge. One of my favorite topics of all time. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd call that one of my favorite movies of all time, but uh, I remember when I was interviewing William Ian Miller, the oh universe- yeah, the disgust, disgust. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you know him because you right. work on disgust and you're all into that kind of that kind of stuff. But I know him for his work on revenge and honor cultures, and he called Princess Bride the best revenge movie ever made. <laughs> Well, part, he's, I, an, he's an expert. Uh, it is a great movie, man. I mean, I don't know about the greatest revenge movie, but it's. I, I just I just rewatched it with my daughter, uh, who's seven yeah. years old, and uh, she was skeptical because it's it's not it doesn't look like a kids movie um, at first, but she loved it. Um, and I don't know if she got the whole revenge thing, but I hope she did. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I've been watching that with Eliza since I was. Well, not I was. She was about four, three or four. And you were like she was fascinated. <laughs> what? Since you were fifty-two, she was fascinated by it from the beginning. There's so much that's that's good in it. And I remember, where did we go? We went to some like zoo or uh, it, it was. It, I, God damn it! I wish I could remember this. But uh, uh, at one point, she said, "Daddy, look, it's an RUI." And then she said, rodent of unusual size. <laughs> oh, wait, R-U-S. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That> up. <So. laughs> okay. I, I, I know that she didn't. She's the, we got to tell our producer to cut that out, except <laughs> that we don't have a producer. <laughs> anybody, cut it in post. Uh, by the way, so two things. First, uh, we are f- now recording. I think this is our first episode that we've recorded. Definitely, right? Since the podcast is now available. Go to verybadwizards.com. And subscribe on iTunes. You can just download the uh, episodes from our website. Uh, But what we would like to recommend that you do, especially if you like the podcast, is rate the podcast on iTunes. Right. 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 And that that will uh, help other people see it when when they do things like search for interesting podcasts. The more ratings we get, the more likely there are to find it. So. Dave gets very uncomfortable trying to promote 
trying to self-promote, <laughs> or I don't know about self-promote, but promote this podcast in any way, shape, or form. It is self-promote. I'm happy to promote to you. post, like, to link to it on Facebook. He won't link to it on any of the blogs that he's associated with. Are you ashamed of this podcast? Is that what this is? I mean, uh, uh, a, a little bit. You're like my, uh, sort of my ugly, fat friend. Um, yeah, they the, go I like, like, like hang balls or something, <laughs> like drunk at two in the morning. You go, that's, that is, it's, I, that's great I, is, I hope that's still a metaphor, but, uh, uh, I, 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 I wish it were. Yeah. You know, before we talk about revenge, did you want to do some follow up about, about, oh uh, yeah, 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 cultural yeah. relativism, which we, we talked about. Yeah. So I was mad. So our, our episode three was on cultural relativism and I was mad at myself afterwards, uh, because I forgot to rant a little bit about Sam Harris on moral relativism. And and there was just, uh, you know, he wrote a book in which he bashes philosophers. I mean, so uh, this is what he says uh, about about philosophers who work on this, right? Uh, he, he says, look, I'm, I'm offering a non-apology right now for not engaging with any of the work of moral philosophers. He says, first, while I have read a fair amount of this literature, I did not arrive at my position on the relationship between human values and the rest of human knowledge by reading the work of moral philosophers. I came to it by considering the logical implications of our, of our making continued progress in the science of the minds. So already that's a kind of smug and, uh, you know, <laughs> I, his, I did. I did not arrive at this by reading other philosophy. I right. uh, just created philosophy by ignoring everybody else. Right. And unlike the like highly educated, quote unquote, which he calls uh, sheep uh, in the uh, ivory tower, he can think for himself. We all just kind of follow the herd. But uh, he calls but, he does. He really says highly educated sheep. No, oh. but that's the, that's, <laughs> okay. that's that's the implicate. Uh, then he says, second. He might be right about this. <laughs> I'm convinced that every appearance of terms like metaethics, deontology, non-cognitivism, anti-realism, emotivism, and the like directly increases the amount of boredom in the universe. <laughs> Son of a bitch, though. Uh, and not only that, but like the the theory that he ends up defending is consequentialism. I know. Like that right. gives you a kind of a spine tingling, visceral thrill, right? right? Consequentialism. That's just a really exciting word. Much more exciting than anti-realism. Uh, <laughs> and then here's where things start to get uh, really bad. So he says, "I know that some people give me shit for again. He's not exactly saying this. I know that some people give me shit." for not engaging directly with the moral with moral philosophy but he says quote the prominent philosophers i've consulted seem to understand and support what i'm doing now nobody ever gets mentioned by name the the prominent philosophers he's consulted they they love what he's doing so right. so it's okay right all right some of my best now, friends are wait. philosophers the worst uh section of all and this is about relativism because he's a he's an enemy of moral relativism. He thinks it's com a, an, an insane view, uh, and yet he thinks uh, most educated and secular people, and this includes scientists, academics, and journalists, seem to believe this is this is a quote that there's no such thing as moral truth, only moral preference, moral opinion, and emotional reactions that we mistake for genuine knowledge of right or wrong or good or evil. That, that's true, he says, of most educated secular people, 
uh, academics and journalists. There's all those journalists out there that are just promoting ro- uh, moral relativism from the rooftops, <laughs> right? Even as philosophers, it's a huge minority position. Right. Never mind all these other people where you just never see it. You never see it at all. But why does he have to do this? Because he has to paint himself as this kind of lone heroic figure fighting against the tide of intellectual fashion. Then he says, Many people also claim that a scientific foundation for morality would serve no purpose. He never mentions anybody. He never mentions any of these people. Listen to that. Many people also claim that a scientific foundation for morality would serve no purpose. Who? Who? Who claims that? Because we can combat human evil while knowing that our notions of, quote, good and evil are unwarranted. It is always amusing when these same people then hesitate to condemn specific instances of patently abominable behavior. Again, no one is mentioned by name. It's always these people, these prominent philosophers, uh, most journalists, most scientists. Literally not a single name has come across, not a single specific person, because actually then he would have to defend himself against those specific people who said, "I, I never said that, I don't believe it, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Finally, this is the last one, and then I'll be done. Uh, this is this is this 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 paragraph. I think everything that's wrong with Sam Harris is is, is in this paragraph. By the right? way, uh, he's, he's my and, friend, but you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> is, is he really your friend? I I, I mean, I've certainly uh, met him and had pleasant interactions with him and emailed. We've exchanged emails. Defend your friend right now. I don't think one has fully enjoyed the life of the mind until one has seen a celebrated scholar defend the contextual legitimacy of the burqa or a practice like female genital excision a mere 30 seconds after announcing that his moral relativism does nothing to diminish his commitment to making the world a better place. So he's accusing... Uh, he's accusing people of it, this uh, sort of imaginary person of of being inconsistent, but but I don't I don't know that that's even inconsistent for somebody. I- and there's that kind of that that sarcastic wit. I don't think one has fully enjoyed yeah. the life of mind until you've seen that. Uh, Get it? Get uh, it? You can actually enjoy the life of mind without uh, experiencing that. That's that kind of Oscar Wildean wit. That you're- <laughs> so okay, so. so- uh, he is being unfair, and he's creating he's he's creating an enemy out of out of this sort of mythical moral relativist creature. But here's here's my mild defense, uh, although I really enjoy your outrage here, um, which is I don't think he's capturing philosophers well. I think, as you say, these these are not the sorts of things that philosophers tend to believe uh, or say. But there there are. A great deal of academics, especially these sort of humanities, postmodern academics, who really are relativists. And they're unsophisticated relativists in the way that I think Sam Harris is trying to describe. So r- remove his sort of the jerkiness. Every pot shot. Right. But I think he's capturing uh, some some – what is he capturing exactly? Like well, people in comparative literature departments, the anthropologist, literature, anthropology, a lot of people in the humanities, and even a lot of social scientists who are sort of reluctant to because because the claim of uh, the opposite of relativism to them is some sort of moral realism that's hard for them to defend. I mean, again, it's an unsophisticated view. But it's not weird to hear people say, well, 
Look, I agree that there are those people out there, but to characterize that as the position uh, that relativism is committed to is just classic straw manning. Uh, he's quote, highly educated moral relativists who piously cite Hume's is-ought distinction as though it were well known to be the last word on the subject of morality until the end of time. I mean, that's just not what people do anymore. Okay, that's not what philosophers do anymore. I think that uh, you're you're so used to straw man, but you're so used to sort of the careful thinking of philosophers that and and. Again, he's he's being unfair if he's characterizing a real relativist, right? Like a like someone like you, uh, who's but thought he is. about. He's this. defending a, a kind of moral realism that's grounded in science, right? He yeah. is. I mean, I agree that he's sort of he's started with real philosophers, but he's and then he he sort of does a bait and switch where now he's sort of caricaturing uh, people in in humanities departments. But, as well as all scientists and journalists. Yeah, all of them. But it, it is a common, let's just call it some sort of... Uh, Anything know, goes some, kind of relativism. Some, yeah, knee-jerk, knee-jerk relativism of, of, some, of an anthropologist. I'm sure you've come across people like this who are like, you know, how can you, how can you judge their cultural practices like burqas and genital mutilation? Um, and, then, and then there is something about uh, those people being a bit inconsistent when... You know, they don't defend Hitler. Yeah, but this philosopher that Sam Harris can't enjoy the life of the mind until he hears, or whoever it was. I don't even know if it's a philosopher. Right. That's one of the few times he's not taking a direct pot shot right, at philosophy. Right, right. All he's saying is that, that there is a contextual legitimacy of the burqa or, or, or genital excision. I mean, Schwader believes that, right? right. And Schwader I, could very consistently with those views um, – be yes. still committed to making the world a better place. He could right. be committed to uh, to wanting to change those Absol- practices. No, absolutely. You're right about that. I mean, there there is he, what he is he's attacking a, a certain kind of person who does not have a well thought out uh, relativist position, and he's using that as a logical argument for why relativism must be a failure. And that's not the case. I mean, all all, all he's saying is like there are dumb relativists, right? Right. Or there are dumb people who think they're relativists, but they haven't. But, but he's using that as a way of defending his own form of realism. I mean, what if right. I said, exactly. oh, or you're a realist? You can't enjoy the life of the mind until you <laughs> yes. uh, hear somebody say that a strawberry is objectively disgusting, but then eat that same strawberry <laughs> uh, 20 <laughs> minutes later in the reception. That, you're right. You're right. And and Sam Sam Harris, I think, is doing a real disservice to his own work to, to just sort of patently dismiss the tradition of moral philosophy and ethics. I mean, and then defend sort of his own philosophy. It's it's irresponsible intellectually to to just it, – it would be akin to a scientist saying like, you know, neuroscientists are just full of shit. So I, I, I started looking at a frog's brain myself a couple of years ago and here's what I've discovered. It's much simpler than neuroscientists claim. Like it's you – know, I mean – it would be – nobody would accept that and that's kind of what he's doing with the philosophy. And- or just taking the worst piece of neuroscience out there and claiming that this is what all neuroscientists are doing and that's why neuroscience as a, as a project yeah, yeah, is yeah. bankrupt. So, so I, I agree with you and, and it does not help that he's so – just so kind of douchey about the way he says it. <laughs> so here's one thing though 
you you are a relativist, right? You uh, you know, I don't know. I I I I see some plausibility in the in the view. At the same time, I also have I think there might be certain fundamental moral truths where that's constituted by you know, everyone would agree if they agreed on all the facts, they would agree that certain things are wrong, certain actions are wrong, certain types of practices are wrong. Maybe slavery is one, honor killings, right. um, t- torture of a certain kind, you know, things like that. But at the same time, I think that doesn't mean at all that there has to be a fact of the matter about the burqa or female circumcision or some of the more kind of controversial uh, moral practices that I think can be embedded. Again, if Sam Harris, if you're listening to this, more more life of the mind enjoyment for you. But uh, I think there can be contextual legitimacy uh, to to some of those practices. So and, yeah. So and the reason I ask is because I want to know. Uh, what you think about the contextual legitimacy of revenge. So Yeah, good. Connect it back to the yeah, actual topic I, for the day. And so yeah. here's here's where and let's just put it out there, one of the things that we have had so much fun agreeing about is that dismissing revenge offhand uh, as something that's stupid and wrong is stupid and wrong. There is just a wonderful glory to the act of vengeance. And so whenever people sort of uh, make fun of revenge um, or, or dismiss it as barbaric, I usually say, you know, you don't understand justice. <laughs> I mean, this is revenge is nothing but a, a fancy word for a justice that involves. Imagine justice was in the hands of everybody as an individual. There was no justice system. Maybe just every instance would be revenge, but it would just simply be, I think, uh, people carrying out justice. So wait, what do you mean by carrying out justice? You think that revenge is... I, I think that it is um, a primitive form of justice that that sort of had to occur when there, were no such, when there was no such thing as a, a justice system. If we were in sort of a small-scale society, um, somebody rapes your daughter, you go and you kill them. To me, that's justice, and, that's and we, justice. Would, we would call it revenge now. But but I'm not sure what the difference there is between having the police arrest him and punish him. I, I think there is a difference, and the difference is that it's not fully justice if the police arrest them. Right. right? So so you're you're not only saying revenge is good; you're saying revenge is actually it's Essential. almost obligatory. It's not just well. Permiss- no, look in in cases like that, we might be jumping ahead. So let me just say yeah. that that this is a view that I've completely almost reversed course on. I started out, as you know, and as we talked about in the free will episodes, as someone who thought that, well, nobody could deserve blame or punishment. Then, uh, so I thought retribution was irrational because retribution presumes that the person deserves punishment, right? right? So I thought revenge, while being a very powerful psychological 
impulse or instinct. It was one that was based on something that was false. It was, it was, it was an impulse that was based on a false belief that people could be morally responsible for their behavior. Right. But, you know, I, I, I then had a daughter and imagined, well, what happens if somebody deliberately harmed her? And I just couldn't get myself to think that that person didn't deserve to be punished. And that seemed to me to be as fundamental a core belief that I had as anything that made me a skeptic about moral responsibility. So, uh, so it was actually my endorsement of revenge that made me change my mind about dessert. But as you say, that's sort of a minority view, both sort of where we grew up. You grew up in California, right? I, I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts. Right. And certainly in academia. I heard you, you uh, quit your job. Like, yeah, real self-destructive impulse. You know, I want to write a book, so I say. So has anybody read that Nazis are going to march in New Jersey? You know, I read this in the newspaper. We should go down there, get some guys together. You know, get some bricks and baseball bats, and really explain things to them. There was this devastating satirical piece on that on the op-ed page of the Times. It is devastating. Well, a satirical piece in the Times is one thing, but bricks and baseball bats really gets right to the point. Oh, but really, biting satire is always better than physical force. Think no, no, physical force is always better with Nazis oh, than because right. it's hard to satirize a guy with shiny boots. <laughs> okay, I hard love that. S- it's hard to satirize a guy <laughs> with the shiny boots. Uh, <laughs> Physical force is always better with Nazis, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, But it really is. That's kind of the view that, uh, you know. So let me give an example of this. A lot of people I respect. Yeah, let me give an example of of this. Um, So I was talking to some graduate students and to a a fellow sort of a colleague in the psychology department. I was saying, you know, it's not that I think violence – I'm not saying that people should go around, you know, committing acts of violence, but, uh, and I'm not even sure that, that I ought to, but what I am sure of is that sometimes people deserve it. So, uh, sometimes somebody just deserves to get punched in the face and my colleagues were like, and and these were men. So I should say they, they have testosterone running through their veins that makes them, that should make them violent. So even, so, but even these, these, uh, men, uh, we're like, no, I can't believe that you would say something like that. So I, so I said, suppose that you're just walking in down the street or in a restaurant or at a bar with your wife and some guy completely bumps into her, right? It's totally his fault and uh, looks at her and says, watch where you're going, you fucking cunt. I said, now, don't you think... I'm not saying that you should punch him in the face, but what I am saying is he damn well deserves to get punched in the face. Why aren't you saying that you should punch him in the face? I I didn't want him to defend it on the grounds that, well, I might get in trouble with the police or whatever, right? Like I, I, Too fucking bad. I said, what would you do? I said, honestly, if that happened, what would you do? And he said, he, I swear to God, he said, I mean, I would sort of like bring him aside and try to talk to him about how that's not... And I was like, "Are you are you kidding me? You would you is this would guy mar- actually married? Does he actually? He's married have a wife with two daughters, and he's and he loves her, and he's so there's no his intuition should be clear as day about this. Uh, but everybody agreed with him, and and I mean wow. it's, it is like the most absurd." 
position. I don't know. It, it can't be that like absurd because so many that, people. You know, your BFF Sam Harris <laughs> kind of defends a view similar to that because he's one of those guys along with Jerry Coyne and all those new come to the party late free will deniers that uh, say that retribution is irrational and that you can't ever justify the idea that somebody deserves blame and punishment. But that would be an interesting question to pose to them. The idea that you're going to pull the guy aside and talk to him, <laughs> I mean, that that really is. That's exactly like the writing a devastating satirical yeah, I, I mean, neo-Nazis march. You know, there's a word for that. Uh, it's called uh, cowardice. <laughs> yeah, being a pussy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm not, uh, again, I think that there, that the view that, that he was defending hadn't really nothing to do with dessert and, and, you know, whether, whether or not people are free. I think that it really is some sort of intrinsic belief that, that violence is, is wrong, that actual punching another human being is barbaric and that it's. Let, let's, yeah. uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back and start talking about why we think that view is wrong and why we think that there's a very good side to feelings of revenge and maybe even acts of revenge. And we'll come back for the next segment. to Governor Dukakis. You have two minutes to respond. Governor, if Kitty Dukakis were raped and murdered, would you favor an irrevocable death penalty for the killer? No, I don't, Bernard, and I think you know that I've opposed the death penalty during all of my life. I don't see any evidence that it's a deterrent and I think there are better and more effective ways to deal with violent crime. We've done so in my own state, and it's one of the reasons why we have uh, had the biggest drop in crime of any industrial state in America, why we have... I, I think this was the end for Dukakis. I mean, I yeah. don't think he ever had a chance, but, you know, that, sort of his... No, his... I think he did have a chance. I mean, Bush was not a strong candidate, the first Bush, I but mean, that... You, you were a voting age already, so I barely remember this. This really ushered in a a series of Bush presidencies. Now, why is that such a bad answer? So here's the right answer, even if you're opposed to the death penalty. If my wife were raped and murdered, of course I'd want the guy to die. I'd want to kill him. I would want to push the button. I wouldn't even want him to go to trial. I would just want to slice his throat or hang him or... or kill him with my bare hands. Kill yeah. him with my bare hands or call a bunch of hard pipe-hitting <laughs> fellas to uh <laughs> and just watch him suffer for the rest of his short ass life. And then you would say, but and this is what I wanted to ask you, do we want people in the heat of the moment making policy decisions like that? And so when you said that the one of the reasons that you changed your views on revenge is because you had a daughter, shouldn't we guard against the possibility that uh we're, that this really is a base intuition that's sort of, sort of easily hardwired in us for good evolutionary reasons, but that we might we might want to discard. Here's my here's my thoughts on that. Now, first of all, 
there's two separate questions, right? Is this intuition a base intuition? And should the feelings of somebody that has just had their wife raped and murdered, should their feelings right. uh, set policy for the United States? There I would say no. Right. Is it a base intuition though? Absolutely not. What seems a lot more base or what seems a lot more – and this is why I think he lost the election – is somebody's just raped and killed his wife, yeah. okay? Yeah. Somebody's just raped and killed his wife, and he's worried about whether the death penalty is a is a deterrent. He's right. worried about the the various sorts of complex policy implications, the various ways in which no, somebody just raped and killed your wife. Those things should be at the back of your mind. To me, it's a lot more virtuous to feel somebody just raped and right. killed your wife. That person needs to die. Right. Right. So, and I wouldn't mind having laws that prevent them from doing it or maybe punish people for doing it themselves just because of all the mistakes you could make or all the you know collateral damage that could cause or and all of that but there is nothing base about him wanting and i would say even maybe him trying to kill the guy because the guy just raped and killed his wife it's all there is to it right right like let's imagine that you actually like you like caught him right after that happened like you stumbled in and like your wife is like dead and raped maybe maybe i should pull you aside and have a discussion about why this was wrong i I mean it's just op-ed yeah (laughs) satirical satirical piece um and base is base is pejorative obviously it is a basic human intuition and i think that dukakis was being he was being a robot in a way that that is is scary to people. And you know, uh, Obama has been criticized for sort of over intellectualizing these sorts of things and not not expressing sort of the the more emotional views. And even if you don't really defend them at the end of the day um, as the right kinds of of things to do, like if you don't defend revenge as a policy, we want to know. That you would feel that, and Dukakis just did not show that. I mean, uh, you, you, there are all sorts of things like loyalty to your country um, that that might actually follow from you having these basics. And, and and what the problem with this answer was, he doesn't even show loyalty to his own family. I know with, like he would, with that with yeah, that answer. He'd be like, "Well, I would do the math if." If uh, yeah. killing him actually were a deter- if I could, if the regression equation worked yeah. out, <laughs> exactly. uh, as long as the effect size was larger than 0. 0.4, uh, then maybe I would consider killing. You know, and it's just not. It's just it's not what I actually. You know, one of my favorite quotes that that sort of is now just a Samuel L. Jackson gold nugget um, is. In the the movie A Time to Kill, when when Sam Jackson has has killed somebody who who killed his little daughter, um, and he's on the stand, and they're trying they're trying to mount a defense, and he just when they ask him if he killed her, if he killed the man, he just loses it and says, "Yeah, I killed him, and I hope he burns in hell. I hope he burns in hell." Yeah. And uh, that moment where he loses it. And he yells out, like, there's no way I'm denying this. Like, not only did I kill him, but he deserved to die, and I hope he burns in hell. That is the kind of humanity, the the kind of humanity that we're looking for, I think. And I I don't think, I think the whole point of that, that movie and that scene is, 
I mean, it's called a time to kill, right? I mean, and I think that it's bullshit to deny, uh, even for our liberal colleagues, that uh, that this is not satisfying. Okay, not so, satisfying, and also not. So, so the, this is an example that there's something very virtuous about it, and I think. And here's where I think revenge as opposed to third-party justice actually has some advantages, right? I mean, so the one example I love to use is True Grit. She, Someone kills her father in cold blood, and this 14-year-old girl, Maddie yeah. Ross, goes and tracks him down and says, look, I want this guy to die. You know, She, she spends all her money. She's sleeping next to these old sick like grandmothers and then she goes out and and risks her life to make sure that this guy dies and and she wants him to hang in her town right, right. she wants either to, for him to be shot dead with with her looking at watching it or for uh her him to be hanged in her town so that he knows that he's dying for what he did to his to her father right and well, There's something so, – I remember I was watching it with Gia and my wife and she was like, every guy with a daughter should see this movie. There's something – you love Maddie Ross in that oh, movie absolutely. because of all the virtues she's expressing, uh, courage, sacrifice, loyalty, deep and connection and to not, her family. She's not acting out of sort of this emotional rage. You know, It's not no. like one of these like, like I saw red for, for 24 hours. and Not at all. Right? It's actually methodical. You know, d- the dish yeah. best served cold. <laughs> she's like, she's kind of robotic in a, in a weird way, although she has, you know, in a she's way that matches, very right. self-contained. Right. In but, a way that matches our, our sort of, uh, at least the goal matches our intuition, right? It, so it is weird to see her so methodical about it. Um, but, but you can tell that it's driven by an emotion. Right. Deep emotional yeah. – and a, just a deep emotional love for her daughter. You, you kind of wonder with Dukakis, how much do you love Kid – I mean, look, it's a little unfair to judge him right, personally right, right, right. by I his – I mean, that was a tough call. <laughs> it's a tough – it was a yeah, tough yeah. question to just come right off the bat. But, uh, but, but you know, the answer makes you wonder, how, how much do you love Kitty? How, how loyal are you? How much are you willing to sacrifice for your family? Well, so, so let me let – me, uh, Raise an objection that I often hear, which is, um, you know, in True Grit, the daughter, she won't feel better after he dies. She'll probably feel worse, right? So yeah. uh, a lot of people say, like, revenge won't make you feel better. Like, people, right. you'll feel empty. You'll it, it, you'll realize you can't bring your father back. Right. Right? That's what, you know, in Princess Bride, after he finally kills the six-fingered man... He, uh, oh, spoiler he says, alert, my whole dude, life Spoiler been... alert. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's seen the <laughs> If you haven't, tough shit. So the, uh, the, he, he kills him. He says, my life is like empty now. Like my whole life I've been gearing towards that moment. Now it's over. I don't know what to do. Right. Uh, I mean, and... there, another word for that is goal achieved. <laughs> No, I know. I don't know if he yeah, – yeah, yeah. uh, but he actually doesn't look like he really enjoyed no. the moment, it, like savored it. Like some, you know, you hear right. about these Montenegro uh, – the Montenegro Indians and how they uh, – or the people – you know, the honor cultures in Albania and how they, they savor revenge as if it's like, you know, caviar. Right. Um, and right. I, it, you don't get the sense that he feels that. And then, you know, I think there are – there is research that – Revenge doesn't make you feel 
all that much better. It doesn't lessen the grief. Right. Uh, so what's your, your answer to that? Uh, you know, my answer is fuck happiness. <laughs> That's not why I'm doing it. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's a fundamental mistake to think that the reason that I so, so, say somebody rapes and kills my daughter, I think that it's a fundamental mistake to assume that the reason I'm doing it is to feel better at the end. Exactly. I, I mean, but this is like a, a pervasive belief that, that many psychologists, social scientists hold that everything we do is, is to, to feel happy in, in this very local sense, which I, we could talk about another time. But in this case, it's just obvious to me. In fact, as you were describing that, uh, the Montenegro Indians, I, I, I actually don't really want to enjoy the moment of killing. Because right. this is also a value of mine. Like, it, I think that it's unfortunate and sad, and it should be difficult for me to have to. Uh, and Maddie, in, in True Grit, uh, I want her to be to be torn when she sees the guy dying. I don't yeah. want her to be sort of just like, oh yeah, that's like it's awesome. Um, it, despite the fact that it's not going to make me feel better, I want it to happen because that's what I think he deserves. So yeah. if I feel shittier afterwards, not only is that not a problem, but I think that it is appropriate. Uh, of course, you're not. You're, of course, I'm not trying to bring her back with with the, my revenge. Right. Uh, That's what people say. It's not going to bring her back. I know. It's it's not, I, like, I know. We can't bring her back. I get that. It's like saying like, well, don't go to therapy to feel better because it's not going to bring her back. Right. I mean, well, like, what does that have to do with what I do? <laughs> You know, in response to my daughter dying, like I'm just carrying out justice. Like you know, so it's not going to bring her back to put him in jail either. Do you think that, say, a guy doesn't rape and kill your daughter, which is hard to even think about, but somebody harms your daughter in a certain way, really mistreats her right. in some way, okay, and he deserves a bit of a beatdown, yeah, for what he did. Right. Do you think he deserves it more from you than he would just deserve it from anybody? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And, and I think that – so here's my intuition. Let's just take – agree that he deserves some form of punishment. All right. Now yeah. – it's not that I just want him to suffer. Like I don't like I don't want like a tornado to have hit his house. Like that wouldn't be satisfying at all, right? Like right. say it was a completely impersonal harm. No, it has to. What be. about getting mugged to the same extent? You know where it's like no. injured. Yeah, yeah. No, and there's there's something about what I want him to know that this is direct punishment for what he did, and right. so even I would even be uh, dissatisfied. If I wanted to give him a beat down and, and, and I did, but he never saw that it was me or, <laughs> right. or he forgot. Yeah. No, I want him to know. Now, does it have to be me giving the beat down? I don't know. I think I could send some guys and tell them this was for what you did to David's daughter. Right. right. Um, but. But there is something that – But it's interesting because like you could do that and that's fine, especially if they're close friends of yours or something like that. But if you're just this guy that's hiring out mercenaries to do your dirty work for you, then that does take away, at least from the outside, a little of the satisfaction of it because you're not – you know, when you go to give somebody a beatdown and you and I aren't especially big guys, there's a chance that we're going to get the beatdown. Absolutely. Absolutely. and that's and that's so, where cowardice enters, right? So I mean, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I thought I was just talking to a friend uh, uh, about this. We we're talking about getting in a fight, and and so 
if I knew the guy was bigger and stronger than me, yeah. my I, I my only goal would just to be get get one good punch in. Yeah, right. You know, and, and if I had just, to suffer a beatdown after that, then fine, so be it. <laughs> take it like a man. Yeah. Although you know, I think men fundamentally believe that they could take any other man in a fight. I, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in a situation like that. Yeah. Uh, and you just hope your emotions take over and give you kind of adrenaline or whatever. Right, right. So let me give you this case that I've been giving and that nobody seems to agree with me on, but I agree with myself. Yeah. John is a 33-year-old graduate student at the University of Utah. He goes to a football game and gets very drunk. He plans to leave his car at the stadium and get a ride home from a friend, but there's a miscommunication and his friend leaves without him. In general, John is morally opposed to drunk driving and he almost never does, but... It's almost impossible to get a cab, so John reluctantly drives home in his intoxicated state. Just before he reaches his house, he has an accident, causing him to swerve into a driveway where a young girl was playing. The girl is killed instantly. Panicked, still drunk, not thinking clearly, he leaves the scene and goes home. As he sobers up, he is overcome with remorse. He considers turning himself in, but he's terrified of going to jail. He's sort of a pretty boy, and he decides against it. Okay, so now the story splits into two directions. In the first, the police track down John eventually, um, after about a month, uh, arrest him, and they put him on trial. Maybe because the death involved a child as well as a hit and run, and we have this ambitious DA who wants to get an elect, who wants the elections coming up. Uh, he manages to convict John for a homicide, and the judge sentences him to the death penalty. Since this takes place in Utah, John dies at the hand of a firing squad. They have the firing squad still in Utah, which is kind of awesome. Uh, all right, so. The, question right now does john deserve to die for what he did does he deserve to be shot um now my intuition and i think most would agree here would be that this is an unjust verdict right i mean uh john definitely deserves a harsh sentence he does he definitely deserves to do serious amount of time uh, but in the end, the killing was completely unintentional. He didn't mean to do it. He showed no ill will whatsoever. N now, and it's true that he made the decision to drive drunk. But look, every college football game, there were probably a thousand people, uh, and many of them in far worse condition than John, who drove home from that same game and were lucky enough to avoid the tragedy. So now here's the second scenario. The police are unable to discover who caused the accident. Parents of the child are grief-stricken. They're completely distraught, as I imagine anyone would be. Their daughter meant everything to them. Since the police are overtaxed and the case has gone cold, they vow to find the culprit themselves. They cash out their retirement funds, sell their house, hire the best private investigators. Eventually, they discover it was John who caused the death of their daughter. Father goes to John's house, taking his gun. He sees John uh, for the first time, becomes overwhelmed with anger and with grief. The image of his daughter playing in their driveway flashes through his head, and he takes out a gun, he looks John in the eye, and he shoots him in the heart, killing him. Oh, I thought you were going to say shoots the daughter. <laughs> um, no, yeah. in his mind, yeah, she's no, dead. No, no, I thought, yeah. You, you can't bring her back. <laughs> um, so now, the, so the same thing's happened. This guy's gotten shot. He's gotten shot for his crime, right? right? He's gotten shot for the crime 
of, uh, of, of killing the daughter, even though it was accidental. Right. Now here, I'm tempted to say he got what he deserved, at least to a much larger extent than he did in the first variation when it's through the state. Well, right? so, but, so there's, a, there's a, 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 a difference between the two scenarios that, that I think needs to be clarified, which is, was he – the fact that he ran and never turned himself in um, makes him seem more evil – Right. Is it the case that in, in the first case where the police catch him that he was trying to run? Yeah, he, he was, was trying, or he's trying not to run, but just but you so know, he not, was trying to he was avoid trying to get caught. away with it. Right. In both, right. you know, um, he just doesn't yeah. want to go to jail for ten yeah. years because he's just he, he was worried that he's just going to get raped. I think that it's more. <laughs> he's worried. Being, he was worried about his butt. Yeah. So. Um, I think free. that I think that there is. I don't know that that. Uh, he gets what he deserves more in the second scenario. But I do think that it's more justified. The killing is more justified when it's from the father than it, when it's from the state. And so, so I, I know, I know that that's then why is it more justified? Right. And I think that it's because it's because it's wrong of the state uh, in the 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 way that the state is set up to sort of be objective about these punishments, um, I think they're making an error of the sort that we would forgive on the side of the father, right? We would be just more likely to say, well, look, people shouldn't go around killing, uh, the vengeance ki- making vengeance killings, but this guy had a very personal thing happen to him, so I, I think that the guys, the the criminal, so it's not as unjust, right, right. What the father is doing, right? I, but I think that the criminal in both cases deserves the same kind of punishment. I don't think that his- so. So okay, that's one sort of weaselly way to try to get out of it. But but let me uh, try to convince you otherwise. Imagine you're the guy. Or those okay? them's are fighting words, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean I think that is. I'm going to write a satirical. Uh, that's probably piece. the most plausible alternate explanation. Yeah. Is uh, that's what we're reacting to the. We don't find the injustice as bad in the second case, right? right. I totally get that. But uh, here's why I think that's ultimately wrong or it doesn't fully account for our intuitions is that um, imagine if you are the drunk driver, okay? Uh, in the first case, I think you could be – could really not think – this is you, know, you could really think, I, I, look, I, I have a punishment coming but this isn't right. This isn't right that I should die for this. It was a total accident. Right. Uh, people drunk drive all the time. I agree I deserve punishment, but I don't deserve to die. Now, that's in one case. Now, if you're the drunk driver in the second case and you're looking at the father right. and uh, you're, you're kind of looking down the barrel of the gun and, you know, at that point, I think if I was the drunk driver, I would say if he wants to shoot me right now, then that's what I deserve. I have that coming. If he doesn't, if he just wants to take me and throw me in jail, then that's what I have coming. Uh, it's 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 in it's in to a, again it's to, to a limited extent. It's up to him to determine what it is I deserve for because I killed his daughter. Right. And right. Uh, right. And I, so another way to think of it is is when the guy sees, uh, you know, who's coming at him with a gun, he would say to himself, "This." Makes it makes sense, right? Yeah. It's, it's just like I, I guess I got I got what was coming. 
Yeah. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with your intuition there. Um, I'm not sure if it's because the, the person really feels like he deserves what's about to happen to him or if he just, if it, if it meshes with his intuition that he, that, that a father, a grief stricken father would be the sort of person to, to kill him. Um, but, but your point, don't you feel like you, like, don't you feel like if God forbid you were ever the cause of something like that, I would hope that he just gives me a beating. I I mean, I I don't know that I would feel like I deserve to die more. I would just, uh, you're right that it matches my intuition that I deserve deserve to be be raped by the, right. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, so wait, uh, let me just, the last variation of this, which is that somebody else brought up. I did this on the Flickr of freedom blog. Uh, Chandra Shapata brought up this variation of it where after the killing, the father realizes he did it in the heat of the moment and regrets it right away. Just literally like, oh, my God, I don't know what came over me. Then all of a sudden my intuition goes away that he got what he deserved in the second case. But if at the same time the father is like, uh, you know, I had to do that. I had, you know, this guy tried to run. He killed my daughter and I did what I did. Then he calls the police, turns himself in takes whatever punishment they're going to give him for it again, then my intuition goes back to he got what he deserved. So it's, it's, it's funny. It's really complicated. Like there's so many things for me anyway that so many factors that enter in to what the person deserved yeah. and the vengeance, you know, the, the very complex feelings of the father and the mother and the uh, figure into that. Yeah. And – uh, I think you're right. The, they are complex. And, and I think one of the points that's made by this, what we really care about sometimes are, are the, sort of the, the kind of person who's involved in this. Like, what is this? Is this a good person doing the right thing? And I think that we understand that a grief-stricken father who's out for vengeance and carries it out is, is sort of a he, – he's not a bad guy. Um, he's the, the right person somehow to to do this, right? And and so, so compare Where, compare him with like a a hitman who's just doing who's killing people for money, even though they are say just killings because they're also vengeance killings. Yeah. Um, or or a DA that's just trying to get reelected or move ahead or right, something right, like that. Right. Somebody so who's just outcomes, doing it for their own personal gain. Yeah, yeah. and outcomes are the same. Um, but it's the the sort of person uh, that's doing it, and 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 I think this gets. This nicely to a, a point that that the economist uh, Robert Frank has made uh, about sort of signaling your underlying character um, with with sort of these these emotions or these intuitions, something like be, being the kind of person who who gets angry when uh, when your daughter is treated poorly. And uh, I think we have we'll save this for for the sec part two of our revenge podcast. And the Frank the the whole the Frank view I think is it's brilliant and it'll get us into some of the evolutionary advantages to these kinds of revenge feelings. Right. All right. So join us next time on Very Bad Wizards for Revenge Part Two: The Revenge. information about this episode, including show notes and links, and to listen to other episodes, please visit us at www.verybadwizards.com.